So the Reverend Brooke Pickerel is a dear friend of mine. She's the lead pastor at Northside Presbyterian Church here in Ann Arbor, matriculates here from the Southwest, from Santa Fe, but Arizona originally, right? Um, Brooke has been a dear friend of mine. We met when we were in a part of a young clergy group together here in Ann Arbor. And just immediately I felt a connection with her because I felt like this is a woman who is just really particularly vulnerable and wise. And so I came to kind of think of her as a pastor's pastor, even though we're about the same age. So when I first met Rachel, um, the first pastor that I turned to actually to talk about advice for what do I do now, I went and met with Brooke over at Northside and she was wonderful and pastoral and we prayed together for both me and Rachel as well as for the church and the staff. And so their church has been a real friend to Blue Ocean behind the scenes in many ways. Some of you came with us when I went and did some guest preaching on the third way there uh, last year, which was lovely because Brooks Church is, I mean, they are like all in affirming. And so she invited me in there to talk about Romans 14 and 15 more from the other perspective. So usually we're talking about it, you know, from trying to, Anyway, she's like, we're all affirming. We want to be able to make space for people who are less affirming and how can we treat each other charitably um, with our more conservative brothers and sisters. And so I found their congregation to just be lovely. So I don't know what else to tell you about Brooke. She's got a six-year-old son named Mather who is wonderful, who used to go by Cowboy Mather. I don't know if he still does. Um, but I hope you guys will really enjoy her. Before I have her up, you should know that the Presbyterians, they have a tradition more of reading the, the scriptures that they're going to use before they preach. So I told her I would read one of them, and then I think she's going to read the second one. So you just got to pay attention to this as I'm reading it. This is 1 Corinthians 1, and I believe I'm reading 12 to 18, or yeah, 18 to 31. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Hey, Paul. <laughs> not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong God chose what is low and despised in the world things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Let's give a warm welcome to Reverend Brooke Pickrell. Currently, Mather is Pirate Mather, just to, to correct you on that one. <laughs> it's 
So Northside sends their greetings and their gratitude um, for who you are as a community. We have a tremendous amount in common, and uh, I think there's a desire in our community to further connect with your congregation, and um, we're very grateful um, that you are here doing the work that you're doing. And uh, there, my congregation is quite fond of Emily. And uh, although Emily has only preached there once, they, when they talk about Emily to other people outside the community, they kind of act like Emily's ours. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like they know you very well. So very grateful uh, to be here. And also um, Presbyterians have the nickname of the Frozen Chosen. It's not our preferred nickname, but... Um, <laughs> So uh, you're helping to loosen me up here a bit because we do things a little differently. So thank you. It's nice to do something different. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In September of 1986, in the midst of the struggle against apartheid in South Africa, the Synod of the Dutch Reformed Mission Church in South Africa adopted the Confession of Belhar. This past summer of 2016, my denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, adopted this confession as one of our own, meaning it is now included in our Presbyterian Church USA Book of Confessions. It is our 12th recognized confession as a denomination and our first confession that has its origin in the global south. Because we have adopted this confession, it is now considered a standard of our faith as Presbyterians. Part of the confession of Belhar reads, we believe that God in a world full of injustice and enmity is in a special way the God of the destitute, the poor, and the wronged. That God supports the downtrodden, protects the stranger, helps orphans and widows, and blocks the path of the ungodly. The 
resonance is deep between these words of the confession and this morning's gospel reading from Matthew, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus speaks of in this text from Matthew has been named by some theologians as God's preferential option for the poor. God's preferential option for the poor. It does not create an adversarial relationship that pits one class or group against another, nor is it a sentimentalizing of the poor and marginalized and their accompanying suffering. But God's preferential option for the poor means that in some special way, in a way that is a great mystery to us, and most likely foolishness to the world, God enters into the depths of suffering, the depths of brokenness, steadfastly accompanies those who suffer and is most tangibly present in the midst of suffering. God's preferential option for the poor is at the same time a call to action for all of God's people to accompany those who in their poverty are named as blessed and to work for, for a world where a preferential option for the poor is the prevailing shaper of how we make policies, decisions, laws, how we shape our conversations, and the motivating force behind the entire work of the church. In an article written by Richard Kaufman, the author writes about the Christian response to the current political reality in our country, with legislation being enacted or threatened to be enacted that hurts or will hurt the most vulnerable among us, including the earth. In this article, Kaufman reflects on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's resistance to Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany, writing, Bonhoeffer projected a moral voice during a very dark time in his life and the life of his nation. He wasn't naive about political matters, nor was he disengaged politically. But his underlying motivations for the work that he did were unarguably Christian. Like Bonhoeffer was during the time of Adolf Hitler, and like Christians have always been, Christians and the church are being called at this very moment in our history to respond to our nation's politics and present and future legislation from the foundation of our faith. It is from here where we have a solid place to stand as we hear over and over and over again in our sacred text of God's preferential option for the poor. a template for responding to our government from a Christian voice and as the body of Christ in the world is provided for us in the confession of Belhar. This confession created again in the midst of the devastatingly hateful racism of South Africa's system of apartheid. The confession reads, we believe God wishes to teach the church to do what is good and to seek the right, 
that the church must therefore stand by people in any form of suffering and need, which implies, among other things, that the church must witness against and strive against any form of injustice so that justice may roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That the church, as the possession of God, must stand where the Lord stands, namely against injustice and with the wronged. That in following Christ, the church must witness against all the powerful and privileged who selfishly seek their own interests and thus control and harm others. Therefore, we reject any ideology which would legitimate forms of injustice and any doctrine which is unwilling to resist such an ideology in the name of the gospel. The Belhar Confession provides powerful and helpful clarity for our call, and I'm so grateful that this is now a standard of the Presbyterian Church USA's faith. But it is the cross, it is Jesus as our predecessor, as the one who has gone before us, who shows us how to respond to legislation and politics that threaten and insult those on the margins who are forced to live in fear. We turn to the cross where in the words of Paul, as we heard Emily read, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Where God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. We turn to the cross to learn how to take up the crosses that we too must carry so that in, in our lives we radiate through our living the good news the good news that the poor, the mourners, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, those who thirst after righteousness, they are blessed. And we will not accept hateful words or policies that bring harm to the vulnerable. The church will not accept this but we will work alongside of those who stand in the shadows of fear as they wait for news that might dramatically and traumatically change their lives. This is the call of the church. And I know the Blue Ocean has this history of doing that. What I am seeing more clearly during this time in our history is not just one man who has got us to where we are now, or one group or type of people. But over the past several months, I am realizing that I am not innocent in bringing to power a government who considers, who does not consider a preferential option for the poor to be paramount that the wrongs and injustice and outrage that we are currently witnessing and fearing, that I too have played a role in the development and rise to power of leaders who do not protect the interests of those who God requires we most faithfully protect. I, to give one example, have until only recently 
taken my own white privilege for granted, is taken the death of many black men for me to begin to look at that. Or another example, I have appreciated and very much enjoyed interfaith dialogue, but in no way have I made this a priority in my ministry to help build understanding and broader community beyond the Christian church. That's an essential part of our work to do now that I should have been doing long ago. I recognize that I have played a role in where we are today and I need to be willing to submit to confession, to say I am sorry. I desire in my heart so deeply too, in the name of Jesus, bring help, bring healing to our world, bring mercy to our world, and I too hold responsibility and cannot just point fingers. So where do I go? Where do I turn? Where do we turn? How can I be a healer when things look so bad? And I recognize my role in not living up to God's mandate to care always for the marginalized first. There is a poem by Michigander Thomas Lynch titled, What Shall We Say? It's a beautiful poem. It's really long. I wanted to read you only the poem's conclusion, and this is the poem's conclusion. So what shall we say to these things? Who's to know? Say, who abides in love, abides in God? Say, God is love. Love God, love one another. Say, grace is undeserved and plentiful. Say, if we're saved, it's mostly from ourselves. Maybe the foundation where we find our voices and move forward with hope is in this word of grace. This is what I believe, that the ground from where we are able to respond with our Christian voices begins in being healed ourselves by God's grace, undeserved and plentiful. It is through grace and in grace that we are able to faithfully respond to our call to be healers in this world. It is from the soil of grace where we move out to do the work of healing. As we hear the prophetic and courageous words spoken in the confession of Belhar, as we turn to Jesus and listen to his words on the mount, it is grace, undeserved and plentiful, that will allow us to respond faithfully to this call to live lives that interweave God's preferential option for the poor into the fabric of all that we do. Bathed in the knowledge of the love of God, we can put one foot in front of the next this day and the days to come as we do the work of loving one another. Amen. Thank you so much, Brooke. We often...
close our sermons with a two or three minute period of silence. And it doesn't have to be perfectly quiet. Babies and people make noise. But I thought as she was preaching, I thought maybe it would be worth us, as we are just silent together today, just sort of pondering or meditating on that idea that um, the cross is foolishness to the wise. The cross is foolishness to the wise. And we could do that. You could do it by starting by just breathing in and thinking the cross is foolishness. And as you breathe out to the wise, the cross is foolishness to the wise. And then this idea of God's preferential treatment toward the poor. This is a little less structured than we sometimes do, but it might be a time where we can just ask Jesus, what does that mean? And let your mind be open to just different, maybe pictures and different things that your your mind or imagination, let it be led by the Spirit. What does it mean, Lord, for us to give preferential treatment to the poor? And now picture your heart. And we can invite the Spirit to reveal to us different places where our hearts have become hard toward the poor or where we have felt entitled to what we have. Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and just soften those parts of our hearts that have become hardened, not only toward the poor, but toward people that, whether we would say it or not, but we view as our enemies. 
and through your spirit, bring your peace that we can be ambassadors of peace into this world. Amen.